Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So, I was thinking this week, and maybe you've heard me say this uh, before, but it came to my mind yet again, what is the ultimate fruit of an apple tree? Many people would say, well, an apple. (laughs) I think that maybe the ultimate fruit of an apple tree is not just an apple, but another apple tree. An apple tree that doesn't reproduce itself is dead or sick. (laughs) I think the same thing can be said of those of us who follow Christ, that the ultimate fruit of a disciple is not just another disciple. The ultimate fruit of a disciple of Jesus Christ is a disciple who makes other disciples. I would propose that one reason this doesn't happen is because the follower of Christ has either died or is not well in his faith. I want you to listen to me very carefully this morning, but specifically right now what I'm about to say, I want you to to kind of tune in with me because um, I don't want to shame you, as Paul will say here in a few moments, but I do want to admonish If you have become a follower of Jesus Christ and haven't asked to be discipled or allowed yourself to be discipled, and then after that process, if you are now not currently discipling somebody else, I think you may have missed why we're doing this to begin with. Let me say that yet again. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't asked somebody to disciple you, you've probably missed this. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ and after having been discipled, you aren't currently discipling somebody else, I really think you've missed the whole point. Jesus didn't say, come to church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, disciples will come to church. Jesus said, go and make disciples. This was never meant to be a solo trip. This was never meant to be a solo salvation or something that you grow in simply by coming to church on Sunday mornings. This really is about investment, investment of yourself into other people who then can invest in other people who then can invest in other people. As you kind of heard earlier, part of the the path, uh, part of the vision that we have here as a church is to provide a path for people to become. As a believer in Jesus Christ, part of that path for you is to become a disciple who makes other disciples who can make other disciples. I want you to know this, that without hesitation or even apology, that we deeply desire that every single person in this congregation who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ would become what I call, and what the Scripture would call, would be a spiritual parent. In other words, you would be somebody who would lead somebody else to saving faith in Jesus Christ and then raise them up in the faith to where they could go lead other people to Jesus Christ and raise them up in the faith. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul provides seven practices that actually speak of this. Paul himself is a spiritual parent. He's led the Corinthians to faith in Jesus Christ, and he's been discipling them for about a year and a half. He's been very stern with them up to this point, and even as we looked at last week, been a little bit of sarcastic nature of, of how he's spoken to them, and he dealt with their pride. And in his deep love for them, he now encourages them to be faithful to the Word of God and grow in the fullness of Christ. You see, Paul has led the Corinthians to faith in Christ, and therefore he calls them his beloved children. In other words, he's saying, I am your spiritual parent. And because of that, listen, he is responsible for their spiritual well-being. And so he provides by his own life and by his teaching seven practices that can help us stay on the path of a spiritual parent. I want you to know that these practices that Paul gives us are not in any certain order, or they're not in chronological order at least, and they're not in order of importance. They're all necessary. So what are these seven practices that I could learn? I mean, what is this going to take for me to be a disciple that could, excuse me, make other disciples? Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 14 through 21. I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. It's at this point where I'll ask you to do what we normally do, uh, and that is that we stand for the reading of God's Word. And I want you to know this, that there's some Bibles in the seat pockets there underneath the, the chairs. You can pull out your phone. You can look up on the screen. What's most important right now is that you understand that God is speaking. This is not my words. That, that anything you hear the rest of the day, there's going to be nothing more important than what you're about to hear right now because God Himself is going to speak to us. Do you believe that, church? This book is living and active, amen. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as though I weren't coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? With love and a spirit of gentleness. You may be seated. And we asked that the Lord would bless the reading of his word. Here's the first thing you can learn today. I I just want to kind of throw it out there to you. But a spiritual parent encourages devotion. A spiritual parent encourages devotion. Paul says, I write these things not to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, he wasn't being hard and writing these things to, to make them cower. He wanted to admonish them. This means that he was pleading with them to repent, to turn from their sin, to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. He didn't want to shame them. That word shame 
means to cause somebody to turn inward. We're ashamed of something. That's what we do. We turn inward. And we don't focus on others. And so Paul says, I want to admonish you. The word admonish means to put in mind. It means to put something in someone's mind with the purpose of warning them or reproving them. It presupposes that something is wrong. It desires that that something that's wrong be made right. Uh, Maybe a change in behavior, a change in belief, a change in habit, a change in lifestyle, whatever it is. But it's a warning. Now listen, it's a warning to change or face the consequences of judgment. We're making disciples. We must encourage them to be devoted to Christ and to turn from sin. You and I can't just sit idly by and allow people to do what they want to do. We have to admonish our brothers and sisters. If you will remember in the Old Testament, Eli was a high priest at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And Eli had two sons, and his sons were priests with him. We read there in, in the Bible that Eli was an incredibly irresponsible and sinful parent because Eli allowed his own sons in the temple to abuse women and at the same time to abuse the sacrifices which were being brought before God. As a result of that, God said that he was going to take them all out. God was going to kill his two children, and Eli would die as well. Listen, the Bible tells us that because Eli didn't admonish his children. He didn't put it in their mind to turn from their sin and be devoted to the Lord God tell you that because the Bible says that we're not to be like Eli, that we're to admonish those that we bring up in the Lord, or else there may be something far more tragic happen to us and happen to them. We must lovingly admonish those who have wrong beliefs and have wrong behaviors with the purpose of encouraging them to be devoted to Jesus. Well, how do we do that? That's a great question. Well, we have the tool in our hands. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial. What's it beneficial for? For teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. We admonish and use the Word of God, put it into people's minds. Why? So that they could be fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did this everywhere he went. And with everyone that he discipled, this is what Paul did. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. He said, you are your witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There it is again. Why did Paul want to do this? Well, because 3 John 4 says this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. We as Paul must encourage a sincere devotion to Christ because Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid 
that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's why he's admonishing them. They've easily been tricked. They've been swayed. They've been deterred from simple and pure devotion to Jesus. So as a spiritual parent, Paul encourages devotion. Secondly, a spiritual parent expresses dearness. A spiritual parent expresses dearness. Look there in verse 14 again in this latter half. He says, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I love those words. If you follow me or hang around me, you know one of my favorite words in all the English language is the word beloved. I use it a lot. I speak to people that way. But several times Paul has called them brothers, but here he calls them his children. Now we've gone from brothers to children. There's an increased level of intimacy. But not only, he says, are they his children, but they're his beloved children. They were especially dear to Paul. They may not have been living the way they should, but they were deeply loved. The the word there, beloved, is the form of the Greek word agapao. You know that as agape love. It's the strongest and deepest kind of love. It's not just a brotherly love. He would have used Philadelphia or Philadeo, but that's not what he used. He used agapao. He uses the deep form of word. It's more than just a brotherly love. It's a love that is determined and willful to serve the object of that love and for that one that's being served to know how deeply you really do care for them. Here's my point. Paul didn't have a problem expressing his love, affection, and care for those he was discipling. We must constantly communicate and express our love and affection for those that we're discipling. There must be a gentleness, an understanding, and an intensity to our love. Philippians 1.8, Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-8, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way we had a fond affection for you, And we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Why, Paul? Why? Because you had become very dear to us. Paul not only said that he loved people, but he showed it. Jesus himself said that the world would know that we're his disciples by the way we what? The way we love one another. The world must see and the world must hear of our affection for one another. Paul didn't didn't fail to express his dearness and his love to those he discipled. Jesus didn't fail to express his love and his dearness for those he discipled. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Why would he do that if Jesus didn't make him feel like he was the disciple that Jesus loved? If we're going to be like Jesus and make disciples the way Jesus made disciples, then we must disciple and and teach those that we disciple that we love them and tell them and share everything of our lives with them. They must know they have the disciple that Steve loves or the disciple that Rachel loves or the disciple that Scott loves, disciple that Kyle loves. Spiritual parent encourages devotion, expresses dearness, but then a spiritual parent evangelizes the dead. Spiritual parent evangelizes the dead. Look there in verse 15. 
For you, if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. As is natural, like with parenting, procreation must occur before you can really love or really do any kind of those things. Paul says that there's only one way a person becomes a spiritual parent. He says it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is quick to say, hey, I'm not the source of this child. They were born into the family of God through placing their faith in the gospel of Jesus, which results in the new birth. The reason we need to be evangelized and evangelize others is because without Christ, we're all dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5, it says this, and you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see, when we lead someone to place their faith in the gospel of Jesus, they are raised from death to life, they are born again, and we become their spiritual parent. Paul says, certainly there are many others who were your tutors. There were countless, there are many, could, could literally in the Greek mean 10,000. I think Paul is using hyperbole here to say simply a large amount. There's been a large amount of others that have contributed to your spiritual growth. Many others have contributed to your faith. Many were your tutors. And that word refers to the person, usually a slave, who is responsible for the basic training and moral upbringing of a child inside of a home. The Corinthians had people who were helpful in some ways, but they only had one father, Paul. Paul was the one who won them to Christ through the gospel. So a parent, by definition, has children. Jesus left us the commission to go and share his gospel so that others could believe and be born again. But tragically, tragically, we have too many in our churches who've never become a spiritual parent. They've never led anyone to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then never took them under their wing and raised them according to the faith that we have in the Word of God. Beloved, what this tells me is, is the church, by large in America, has a major discipleship problem. Disciples make other disciples. And this happens by sharing the gospel of Christ. I don't say this to shame you. I, like Paul, say this to admonish us. I remember reading about a a missionary to Africa told the story about an elderly woman and she had received the gospel of Jesus Christ and been born again and she was blind and she couldn't read and she couldn't write. But she was so excited that she had been born again that she wanted to share her faith with everyone that she came into contact with. So she went to the missionary, even though she was blind, she couldn't read and she couldn't write and she asked for a copy of the Bible in French. That's the part of the French-speaking Africa. And when she got this Bible, she asked the missionary to underline John 3.16 in red and mark it on a page to where she could find it. 
missionary wanted to see what she would do, so one day he followed her. In the afternoon, just before school let out, she made her way to the front door of the school. And as the boys of the school came out, she would stop and ask each one if he knew how to read French. When the little boy would say yes, she would ask him to read the verse that was marked in red. He would read the verse and then she would ask, do you know what this means? And they would say yes or no, and depending on their answer, she would share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with every boy who responded. The fact is that 24 of the little boys that that lady led to the Lord went on to become pastors of great churches in Africa. Let me tell you something. Those boys had many tutors. They had many teachers. But they only had one to lead them to faith in Christ. And that lady became their spiritual parent. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. She didn't use excuses. She could have easily said, I'm blind. She could have easily said, I don't know how to read. I don't know how to write. She could have done all that. But because of her joy and because of the responsibility she knew she had to tell others, she faithfully led others to faith in Christ. Can I tell you that one of the most important parts of being a Christ follower is that you and I will reproduce ourselves and somebody else. Paul had spiritual children everywhere he went. He was a proclaimer of the gospel, but he was not the source of the gospel. Again, the Bible tells us, this is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Do you see that, folks? When the Holy Spirit has come upon your life, the natural fruit of that is that you will be his witness. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Go therefore and do what? Tell me what he says, church. Jesus himself said, go and make disciples. Are you with me? So, A spiritual parent evangelizes the dead. But then a spiritual parent also exemplifies a disciple. I want you to look in verse 16. He says, therefore, I exert you, be imitators of me. And then he says in verse 17 that Timothy, when he comes, will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. A spiritual parent must set the example for those he has led to the Lord. Paul says this. He says, Imitate me. This right here word, imitate me, is the word which we get our word mimic from. In other words, mimic me. Do do exactly what I do. Copy me. Paul was faithfully following Jesus in every area of his life. And when he failed, Paul demonstrated confession and repentance. And he wanted them to follow the doctrine of his life, sure, but also his lifestyle. And he said that Timothy would remind them of his ways. That word ways refers to a well-traveled road, a course of conduct, a way of thinking, of feeling and acting. Timothy had been discipled by Paul, who was acquainted with all his ways, and now Timothy was going to remind the Corinthians of how Paul lived among them. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I've been there. It's at this point that somebody in the audience would say, you know what, I don't know that I could honestly say to somebody, hey, imitate me. I know many would struggle with that today. I know my life's not where it should be. I don't know if anybody should be following me. I don't know if, if, if I'm the example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I don't know that I can tell people to follow me. 
can I just be honest with you? Can I just cut straight with you? That is absolutely no excuse. Because all you need to do is just repent. If you're not where you can tell somebody else, follow me as I'm following Christ, then guess what you do? You just get right back into a discipleship relationship with somebody else and say, teach me to follow Jesus. And as I'm following Jesus, as you're following Jesus, you will be made to follow Jesus like they follow Jesus. And then guess what? Now you can turn to somebody else and say, follow me. Far too long we use the excuse, I don't, I'm just not there yet. That's not where we need to stay, church. We need to be admonished like Paul is admonishing them. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to say we need to get after the program. A father and son arrived in a small western town. They were looking for an uncle whom the father of the son had never seen. But suddenly the father pointing across the square to a man, he said, hey, hey, there, son, there, that man, that man is my uncle. The little boy said, daddy, how do you know you've never seen him? The father said, I know that's my uncle because he walks exactly like my daddy walked. Those we disciples should be able to say that we walk like Jesus. We should exemplify what it means to be a disciple of Jesus because a spiritual parent exemplifies a disciple. But then fifthly, a spiritual parent equips disciples. A spiritual parent equips disciples. He says, hey, for this reason, I've sent to you Timothy. Timothy's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach in every, everywhere in every church. For this reason is a reference to the goal of making imitators of Paul. In other words, Paul said, hey, this was the point. Jesus said to make disciples who can make disciples. Guess what? I've made a disciple of Timothy. Now I'm sending him to you to help make disciples. Paul wants to continue to make disciples who make disciples. Paul has equipped and empowered Timothy. He showed Timothy what it looks like and invested in Timothy. He's done such a complete work with Timothy in his discipleship that now he can send Timothy to do what it is that he would be doing. This is when you and I know we've made a disciple, when we've raised a spiritual child, when we can send them to do what we would normally do, that they can do it in our place. When we are Christ-like and those we disciple become Christ-like, we send them out to repeat the process with others. That's the multiplication that Jesus deeply desired for his church. I mean, I want you just to think with me just for a moment. Just for a moment, I want you just to go with me, just in your sanctified imagination. Let's play a game of Simon Says. Okay, so Simon says this. Simon says, I want you all to stand up. And so everybody in the room, if you were interested in playing the game of Simon Says, guess what you would do? You would stand up, right? Or if I said, Simon says, take a step forward, everybody would do what? They'd take a step forward. Simon says, sit down. Okay, so you all got the point. Okay, so you're all sitting down. Okay, good. All right. Here, here's, here's, my, here's my thing, though. If I said, Simon says, I want you to stand up, and somebody in the room said, hey, 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 I memorized it. I know exactly what you said. You said, Simon says, stand up. I got you. I memorized it. Somebody else said, hey, you know what? I can tell somebody else what you said. You said, Simon says, stand up. Great. You've got it memorized, and you tell other people you know what I said, but did you do what I say? No, this is, this is a game of Simon says, not Simon memorized, or not Simon tells somebody else what I said. 
Imagine if I told my daughter, I said, hey, daddy says I want you to do the dishes. And she said, guess what, daddy? I memorized it. You said do the dishes. Great. Well, daddy, I told my sisters that you said you wanted me to do the dishes. Perfect. No, I wouldn't respond like that. I told you to do the dishes. Here's my point, church. Jesus said, go make disciples. But what we've been doing too long is just memorizing Matthew 28 and telling other people that we memorized Matthew 28, but we haven't been doing Matthew 28 because we still think it's a game and that there are no consequences. The salvation of the grains depends on whether we make disciples of other disciples. Do y'all know that? The grange will not be reached as long as we stay here and don't make disciples who can make other disciples. Heaven and hell are riding on whether we do what Jesus said. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will also be able to teach others for generations. Me to you, to them to others. That's always been the plan. So a spiritual parent encourages devotion, expresses dearness, evangelizes the dead, exemplifies a disciple, and equips disciples. Sixthly, a spiritual parent explains doctrine. He says there in verse 17, the last part, he says, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Did you know that a disciple will both need an example, imitate me, and explanation. Therefore, I teach. A major part of discipling is teaching the Word of God, explaining and sharing its truths. Paul had been doing this with the Corinthians for a year and a half. They were grounded in the Word. Timothy was going to come and remind them of what Paul had taught everywhere. This means that Paul taught the same doctrine everywhere he went. So all that you and I are doing is teaching the same thing that Paul taught and the other apostles taught just over and over. We're just reminding people of what Jesus has taught. But we not only need to be correct, but we have to be able to be understood. And let's not try to impress, but to communicate in understandable ways. John Wesley and John Whitfield were, were great preachers of old. Bishop John Ryle once said of both of them, he said, they were not ashamed to crucify their style or sacrifice their reputation for learning. They carried out the maxim of Augustine who said that a wooden key is not as beautiful as a gold one. But if it can open the door when the gold one cannot, it will be more useful. We don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to know everything there is to know. But you just have to be able to be clear. For some, they, the reason they feel like they can't explain, listen to me, I, man, I, I know this sometimes stings. And I, I'm trying to cover this with so much grace, but, but I've got to do what the Scripture says to do. For some, the reason they feel like they can't explain things to others is because they feel like they don't know enough themselves. And I cannot tell you, if you have been in this church for more than two years and you're still saying, I don't know how to teach others, can I just tell you, that is not an excuse that will work before the King of God, the kingdom of God. That's not going to stand. Because there are more resources that we make available in this church in a year's period of time for you to know 
The problem is, is other things have crept into our life that takes us from studying the word of God, not only with other people, but on our own. We are without excuse, church. We can know how to teach others if we just discipline ourselves to do it. There are lots of people here who would be willing to disciple you, but here's the thing. Too many times we let other things get far more important in our lives than actually studying and knowing the Word of God. And I'm trying to tell you today, you've got to make the effort to learn, study, and then to give this bad boy away. That's what Jesus left you here to do. There are no excuses. And then a spiritual parent, lastly, very quickly, engages discipline. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just telling you, it's what the Word of God says. It says in verse 18, now some of you become arrogant as though I weren't coming to you. But I'm going to come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Should I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? There's going to come a point in time when those whom we are discipling are going to get off into some kind of sin, and then you and I have to engage and deal with that. This is never easy, but it's always necessary. And can I tell you that it also must always be done in gentleness and in deep humility. Paul says that they have become arrogant. That, that word again means to be puffed up. Here's what they were thinking. Paul, we're never going to see you again, so we're just going to do what we want to do. Paul said, oh, so you think I'm going to try to hide behind Timothy? No, I'm coming. And in my language, and if this offends you, just know it's an illustration. Paul said, yeah, I'm coming. And what's it going to be, boys? Do you want me to come with a rod? Because I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to find out all those who are doing this. And I'm going to deal with them. Because the kingdom of God didn't, it isn't revealed in just this stuff. The kingdom of God is revealed in what, church? In the power of a changed life. Too many people can talk all they want to. But Paul says that's not how the kingdom of God works. It, it works in what? A changed life. Paul says, hey, listen, you're arrogant. You don't think I'm coming. And the problem in the church today is, is we're arrogant and we don't think Jesus is coming. But I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. And he disciplines those whom he loves. So Proverbs 3.12 says this, for whom the Lord loves, he what? Just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He punishes every son whom he accepts. Here's the truth of the matter. A lot of people talk about their freedom and their independence and their rights. What have you got to tell me? You aren't the boss of me. And you've probably got really good arguments about why you're doing what you're doing, about the sin that you particularly choose. We've all got pretty good words about that. We get arrogant about that. But faith that does not result in Christ-like living may have many words to support it, but it never has the power. A disciple is not determined by the persuasiveness of his words, but the power of his life. 
You think words are going to get you to the kingdom of heaven? Watch this. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we're into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does power, the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Perform miracles in your name? Say, 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 words, words, words. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you because you do what you do is you practice lawlessness. Many can talk a good game. It's in the power of a changed life that reveals if we truly belong to God. Now, Paul was hopeful that they would repent before he returned. So he's given them a choice. He says, hey, listen, I can come. When I come, I'll deal with it. So it's kind of like this. When you come before your child, you can say, hey, you can sit down and do what you told, or you can go upstairs and I can whoop you. What you want. We all understand this. We all understand what he's trying to say. Some of us just don't think God is that way. And I'm telling you, God will discipline those whom he loves, and he's often going to do that through us. He's going to love other people through us, and he's going to discipline other people through us. And we, if we're discipling somebody and they get sideways in sin, we are the ones that are supposed to go to them and restore them. So a little girl said to her teacher one day, she said, hey, Miss Hayes, I don't want to scare you, but my daddy said if my grades don't improve, somebody's going to get a spanking. Oftentimes, I think we misunderstand. God says, hey, if your life doesn't improve, somebody's going to get a spanking, and we often think it's somebody else. See, what, what Paul is doing, listen to me, church, is Paul is setting them up because he's going to start to talk about some really gross sin in the church. And he's going to talk about church discipline. And that's the stuff we don't want to deal with. But I'm telling you, Paul says, if we don't repent, there will be discipline. In your life and in my life. So Paul says, it's up to you. Would you rather me come in a spirit of gentleness or would you rather me come? As the band comes and we begin to prepare a way for invitation... I want to tell you something that I've been thinking a lot about. There's a man by the name of Mike Breen, and Mike Breen is a, is a guru when it comes to discipleship. He's from the UK, but he says a statement. He says that too many people are focused on building the church and not making disciples. And he says, if you focus on making disciples, Jesus will build his church. But if you focus on building his church, no one will really ever make disciples. And then he goes on to say this. He says that the reason that many simply attend church as a consumer is because they're looking for a professional to meet their needs instead of coming to church as a disciple looking to make other disciples. So I'm asking you today, which one of these could you grow in? 
Which one of these seven practices are you weak in? Can I just beg you to consider that right now as we move into this time of invitation? Think about this in your life. If you've never been discipled, if you'd say, hey, you know what? That never happened to me. Or maybe somebody asks you and you kind of just put excuse after excuse out there. Today, who maybe would you ask to disciple you? There's got to be somebody in this church that could disciple you. But they would love to if you just ask. And then let me prepare you. If somebody comes to you and asks you, it may mean you have to redo your whole life to make that happen. Then secondly, man, who could you begin discipling? And who could you just walk up to and say, hey, you want to enter into a discipling relationship? I'd love to pour everything I've got into you. Which one of those maybe is the Lord speaking to your heart about this morning? You're saying, man, I don't really know where to start. Can I, can I tell you one of the best places to start is to get involved in an adult Bible study on Sunday mornings? I would love to invite you to mine. Brother Wayne, would you stand up just for a second? I just want everybody to see who you are. Sherry, why don't you stand up? Look, I'm the pastor of this church, but that's my adult Bible study because I still need to be discipled. I've submitted myself under their leadership because I still need it. And all you got to do is find somebody. They would, those two right there, they would love to have you in their group. They would love to. If you want to have fun, Come there. If you don't, find somebody else. I'm, I'm just telling you. They're, they're great. Then we have these things called growth groups. They, they meet all time during the week, man. I want to tell you, man, I, I've got a growth group, and I love my growth group. I don't know what I would do without my growth group at times, but, but they're teaching me about Christ, and we teach each other about Christ. Did you know that this summer in just a few weeks there's going to be men's and women's Bible studies that you can sign up for? It's kind of already closed now. But I'm sure we could fit you in. We'll make a way. Lastly, if you never, ever, ever have become a child of God, can I tell you today's the day. I'd love to lead you in that. Very quickly, the Bible says that we're all We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I would dare say in this moment that you don't necessarily need me to convict you of your sin because the Bible says that you're, you're condemned already. You probably know that already. The Bible says that because we're sinners, that we're separated from God and we're going to die a physical death and forever be separated from God because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it also says something else. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. That God so demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, dead in our sin, sinning against God, that Christ died for us. The Bible says, man, that if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, I want Jesus to take over my life. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning to forgive you of your sin, and you're willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, I promise you this morning, the Spirit of God will come inside of you and make you alive. 
and you will know of the life-changing gospel of Jesus that we talked about earlier. So I'm going to pray a quick prayer, and then you're going to stand, and we'll respond. I'll have some folks up here that you can pray with about anything and everything. But let me pray, and then we'll respond. Oh, Father in heaven, may we take your word seriously, and may we go make disciples. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? You come as we sing. Turn.